Hear now the word of the Lord. Jeremiah 23, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And they would have turned them from their evil way and from their evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, who prophesy that a seed of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophet, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them I lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness, when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. When one of this people, or a prophet or a priest, asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? You shall say to them, you are the burden. And I will cast you off, declares the Lord. And as for the prophet, priest, or one of the people who says the burden of the Lord, I will punish that man and his household. Thus shall you say every one to his neighbor and every one to his brother, what has the Lord answered or what has the Lord spoken? But the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more, for the burden is every man's own word, and you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, and God. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? Or what has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord, when I sent you saying, you shall not say the burden of the Lord, therefore, behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence, you and the city that I gave you and your fathers, and I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. And thus ends the reading, the very word of God. February 2002, it was Super Bowl 36. The St. Louis Rams were playing the New England Patriots. And eventually that became the first time we ever knew there was a Spygate. If you don't know what Spygate was, it was in the news for almost seven years. You'll still hear about Spygate. The coach for the New England Patriots wanted to get ahead of the other team. So when they were practicing, they were going through their, 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 their plays, 
a couple days before the Super Bowl, allegedly, so he says, I don't know, he had a video camera there spying on the plays of the other team. Allegedly. And what he did was he took those plays, knowing their playbook, and then he had his defense set up to stop the plays that they were going to run. Of course, you'll be much better at beating a team if you know their playbook. Who wouldn't want to know their opponent's playbook and what they're going to run and what they're going to do? Jeremiah gives us the false prophet's playbook. We saw a little bit last week. And this week, he's going to give us four plays, four points, you could say, in my sermon, are going to be the plays of the false prophets. The first thing in their playbook, of course, is this, they preach vain hope. They do preach hope, it's just vain hope. The second thing they do is they're, they're soft on sin. Third thing they do is they trust in experiences. And the fourth thing they do is the truth is burdensome. It's heavy. So some of the plays in the false prophet's playbook, they're, they preach vain hope, they're soft on sin, they trust in experiences, and the truth is burdensome. And right as Jeremiah is preaching in this section, you have to ask yourself, well, do you have to just listen to every preacher? I mean, is it mandatory that you listen to every single preacher? Well, because you're Presbyterians, you need to know the history of people forcing other people to make you listen to things that you may not agree with. There was this man named David Baton. He had weaseled himself in 1540s into power with Mary, Queen of Scots. He was, he was an archbishop. He was a Roman Catholic cardinal. Wasn't very good Roman Catholic. He had eight different children from different women. But anyway, nonetheless, he was a very powerful man. Very powerful he pledged his allegiance to France and pledged his allegiance to the Pope. And one day he got mad at this man named George Wishart. And in 1545, he said, Listen, Mr. Here, Mr. George, I'm tired of you preaching justification by faith and faith alone. I'm tired of you preaching sola scriptura. I'm tired of you preaching the truth and had him burnt publicly at the stake. Then he exerted his will and power over all the Presbyterians in Scotland. And did you know... He was one of the last cardinals that the Roman Catholic Church ever sent. I won't tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> it's not the point. The point is, they didn't put up with people telling them how you have to worship. Because you don't have to listen to every prophet. You don't have to listen to everybody. I know some of you are going, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> Look at what Jeremiah says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. You don't have to listen to everyone. That's a benefit. Some people, you're commanded to ignore. You're not even supposed to give them any credence at all. If the church understood that, we would have a lot better churches. I mean, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 20 tells us, God alone is Lord of the conscience. You're not commanded to listen to just anyone. You're to use your, like, in, in the country, we like to say, use your noggin when you're listening to people, right? You're, you're supposed to think. Love the Lord your God with all your, your mind. 
You have to think. Right? You need to think what people are saying. Be Berean, sitting in your chair. Okay, let's see what it says. You're supposed to use your, use your brains. And it seems that a lot of these people there in Jerusalem were saying, well, they're prophets, whatever. They're teaching me what I want to hear. I don't really care. And some of the things that the prophets were doing is they were filling them with vain hopes. Look at this, verse 16. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. They look at people who don't care about the word of the Lord. They look at people who trust their heart and follow their heart. You know, what we, you know, just got to trust your heart. And here comes Jeremiah saying, these people here are just giving you vain hope. Don't listen to those types of people. They're telling you that judgment's not going to come. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, the prophets have been saying, peace, peace, peace. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. God will not destroy us. He loves us. We're a special people. Oh, and you live where you want to, they say. It's okay. Judgment isn't coming. You know, there's one preacher, not going to say his name because I don't want to, not that I don't like the guy, I just don't want to say his name because I don't want you to think about it. But this is what he said. He says, I don't feel that I'm cheating people in my congregation by not preaching about hell. He goes, people come to our church, they've been beat up all week, and I want to give them something better to think about. And this one man, Pastor John Burton wrote, to the shame of much of today's church, there has been a firm and steadfast rejection of any truth that doesn't result in people feeling happy. This is not a Reformed Presbyterian writing this. This is a charismatic man who wrote, to the shame of much of the church today, there has been a firm and steadfast rejection of any truth that doesn't result in people feeling happy. They want man to be happy. They want you to leave happy. I want you to leave happy. But I want you to have real hope, not vain hope. And here's the problem when you, when you skip out on teaching judgment. When you're giving vain hope, this is part of the problem. See, you're, you're, you're going to take the Lord's Supper. And, and you're going to do that tonight. And, and Satan's going to come to some of you and say, Well, you shouldn't take that supper. You know what you did this week. You know what you did. You know what you did in the past. You know what lifestyle you used to live. And you may think twice about taking it. See, that's a lie from Satan. If the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from the sins, you take the supper. I don't care if you have a wee little faith. He says a flickering wick, he will not blow out. He will not snap a broken reed. You come in faith. If you're repenting of your sin, you say, you know what? Satan, if you really knew me, you'd have a lot more to accuse me of. But the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from my sin. And he gets people shaking in their boots thinking, I, I, I can never trust in Christ. I can never be a Christian because of what I've done. He comes to you and makes you feel insecure. But you know, he does the opposite for those who should be trembling. He goes to them and he lies to them and says, you know what? You should really take the supper. You deserve everything. You've earned everything. You've done nothing wrong. 
See, Satan is very, very crafty, and he preaches vain hope. And here's the problem when you don't preach judgment. Here's the problem. You totally miss what happened on Calvary. See, Jesus took our judgment. We deserved it. We earned that. But Jesus Christ earned something different for us. He takes our judgment. So if there is no judgment, then, then what do you make of the cross of Christ? It becomes unnecessary. It becomes just an example, which is a very odd example. The judgment points to Christ. He takes what we deserve. And here in Jerusalem, he's, the, the prophets are preaching vain hope. It's okay, judgment doesn't exist, you're completely fine. That's a part of their playbook. But the second thing in their playbook is they're soft on sin. They don't tremble when they're preaching. Pastor David will tell you, it's okay to be nervous. You should be because you're speaking on behalf of God and you're taking the, the holiness of God and you're expounding upon people. You probably should be a little bit nervous. Look at verse 18. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear His words? Or who has paid attention to His word and listened? The reason they preached vain hope, the reason they're soft on sin, is because they've never really been in the presence of God. You know this for a fact when you go before the presence of God. Oh, he's your father, but he's still holy. We still know we're in the presence of a holy and righteous God. We, we, we understand the holiness of God. We understand that God is serious about sin. Vodi Bauckham, who's a Baptist minister, an excellent, excellent preacher, might I add, he said there's 11 commandments. That's what caught me, huh? I thought there was only 10. He goes, no, there's 11. I'm like, oh. Then he said, the 11th commandment is, thou shalt be nice. And I think about that, and that's how a lot of preachers preach, and a lot of us live our lives, thou shalt be nice. We're not going to tell anything, anyone anything hard, because we tell them something hard that's not nice, and we have to be nice. The problem is, God is not soft on sin. It seems that some will only preach sin if the politicians and Hollywood says it's a sin. See, if the politicians and Hollywood says it's a sin, they're, they're really preaching against it then. But if Hollywood and the politicians and the world says, you know, that's okay, you'll never hear about it ever. And that's the problem. They become soft on sin. And look at verse 19. Behold, the storm of the Lord... Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest, it will burst upon the head of the wicked. This is, this is not good language, might I add. Verse 20, the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. They won't do what their heart always does, but God gets what his heart wants. In the latter days, you're going to understand it clearly. When Babylon comes, you'll get what I'm saying, Jeremiah says. Verse 21, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. In verse 22, but if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned from their evil way and from their evil of their 
deeds. He says they're clearly false prophets because if they weren't false prophets, the people wouldn't continue to sin. They never, they never mentioned it. False prophets are very soft on sin. They don't like speaking about it. No pastor really likes speaking about it, to be honest with you, because we have a load of them ourselves. But it's not something that false prophets really want to speak about. They're pretty soft on sin. And, and here's the problem. It goes back to this table. If there is no sin, and God is not holy, why did Jesus have to die? It wasn't just for an example. We sin before holy and righteous God. And if He doesn't give us the power to live a different life, that's a denial of the resurrection. See, the gospel is wrapped up into Jesus Christ taking our sin and Jesus Christ raising from the dead and giving us the power through the Spirit now to live the life that we should live. Vindicating everything He did and now the Spirit comes and, and helps us to live that way. That, that's the power of the gospel. And when the prophets are, are soft on sin and when they're denying the holiness of God, of course, that's an attack on the gospel. They've been given vain hope. They're soft on sin. And they also trust in their experiences. There are a lot of people who say, well, if I've experienced or I think it or I felt it, then it's true. They think that, they believe that. And look at verse 23. This is a rhetorical question here, but it's, in context, it's kind of funny. If you think about all the, the bales, right? There was the bales and then there were the little bales, every different region. Every little region had a little regional God, right? There was a lot of different false gods. And, and God asked this question. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Am I just a regional, local God? You're going to treat me like all the other false gods? This is basically what God is asking and in verse 25, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name by Baal. The false prophets were saying, I had a dream, I had a feeling, I had something inside of me, I had an experience. Therefore, you need to listen to what I have to say. You ever had those Mormons come knock on your door? Hi, I'm brother so-and-so and so-and-so. And some of you are like really, really, really crazy and you let them in. You're just nuts and you want to talk to them all day. I'm not telling you which one I am. But anyway, they come to your door and they knock. You'll get to the point where they eventually give you the Book of Mormon. And this is what they'll tell you. Why don't you just pray and you ask Father if it's true and see if you don't get a burning in the bosom. Now think about this. 
they're going to people who are not Christians, who have no access to God because they don't believe in Jesus Christ, people who deny that Jesus is God, don't have access to the Father. Letting you know that right now. If it's not the right Jesus, you don't have access to God. So all these people are praying to something and asking for a feeling and an emotion and a burning in the bosom. Who do you think gives that to them? It's not God. These prophets, I don't doubt they weren't feeling something. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt one bit that the enemy won't convince you by your experience, by what you feel, that something is right that's completely not. Do you remember Peter? Peter was a Christian. He was an apostle. And Satan convinced him. He thought what he was doing was right. But Jesus said to him, no, what, what you're doing is wrong. Get behind me, Satan. Satan does that to people. He gets them to have these experiences. And if they have these experiences, then it's true. There are some people that think, well, it's got to be true. Therefore, because I felt it. And my feelings become the actual evidence and the court of law that, that tells me I have all the facts. Therefore, sure, and this is what the prophets were doing. And this is what's so wild in verse 28. When I read this, Pastor David's going to see and he's going to be like, wow, that's incredible. Because we got a case coming up. We're going to use it. Verse 28. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common wheat, declares the Lord. You know, straw, you can't eat straw. You just can lay on it and animals can lay on it, but you can eat wheat. But the purpose of what he's saying here is dreams will never trump the revelation of God. Your experiences will never trump the revelation of God. And some of you may say, oh, no. Sensationism isn't just in 1 Corinthians. I'm reading from Jeremiah. Long before. This is even after Joel, where you shall dream dreams and visions. There's a purpose for that in the book of Joel. Long before Paul even thought about when that which is perfect come and that debate took place. And long before the church was built on the apostles and the prophets, there was a man named Jeremiah who told people, listen here, the word of God is more important than any type of dreams or visions or what you feel. Jeremiah was a cessationist. Hardcore one, if you ask me, my opinion. Sola Scriptura. I just don't feel it. I just don't believe it. But what does the word say? And look at verse 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets, declare the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I'm against the prophets, declare the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams, declare the Lord and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. What is the basis of your truth? Have you had an experience? You may. We have a theology that's okay with, they're like, well, we, we understand, things happen, whatever. It's the word of God, that's the rule. The Word of God. Filter your feelings and your thoughts through the Word of God. 
Because false prophets like to pry upon your feelings and your emotions and your experiences. They've been doing it for years and they'll continue to do it. It's been in their playbook and Jeremiah's warning the people, hey, this is the reason that it's going to fall. Babylon, this is the reason Babylon's going to come and destroy Judah and, and it will continue to happen. Now we've seen that they preach vain hope. They're soft on sin. They trust in their experiences. And we also see that the truth is burdensome to them. It's a nuisance. Some of you may know when I was in high school, on Saturdays, this, this man used to hire me and my buddy to move cinder block. Basically, it was cheaper back in the early 90s just to get two high school kids to move a bunch of cinder block as they're building the foundation for a house. And we would basically mix up some, some cement, called it mud, for the, for the block layers. And let me tell you, I had a supervisor that was a burden to me. He was a nuisance. And the problem was the supervisor was the owner's son. And I saw his blue truck coming, and I would want to hide. He'd come around the corner. He wouldn't even get out. Honk the horn. Peacock, he wants you. Ugh. He would get me, and I'd have to get in his truck. And he'd take me to all the chores that his dad gave him for the day, and I would do all of his chores for him. I got paid, but at the same time, it was a nuisance. Because then everybody would be upset. How are these cinder blocks going to get moved themselves? I have to do them later. I wanted to hide every time I saw him. I don't want to go do your chores. Can't you do your own chores? It was a nuisance. An absolute nuisance. The truth of the Word of God was a nuisance and a burden to the false prophet. They, they couldn't stand it. It was heavy. It was a burden. They didn't want to share it. They didn't want to talk about it. Sometimes the word burden can be used as oracle. I think... Burden's the right word here. Look at verse 33. When one of this people, or a prophet or a priest, asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? What is it inside of you that you really want to share? What do you need to get off your chest? You shall say to them, you're the burden, and I will cast you off, declares the Lord. The burden of the Lord, what they were preaching. What's the word of the day? Well, the actual word of the day became a burden. It was too heavy for them to share. And in verse 34, And as for the prophet, priest, or one of the people who says, The burden of the Lord, I will punish that man in the household. Why? Thus shall you say, Every one to his neighbor and every one to his brother, What has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? But the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more. For the burden is every man's own word, and you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. They have turned the actual burden of the Lord, and they perverted it to their own opinions. Not only was it heavy, but they turned it into opinions. One commentary said this, they were confusing their private opinions with God's word, and were proclaiming their opinions as if they were from God. So many were claiming to have messages from the Lord that the prophetic office had lost credibility. It just became opinions. Opinions, opinions, opinions. 
became Facebook. They didn't have Facebook in Jeremiah's time, but you get the point. It was just opinions. And you know what's interesting about opinions? If you ever listen to John Piper, he gives this illustration about how people read the Bible. It really changed the way I read the Bible. See, if you sign paperwork and let's say you buy a car, let's say you have 4% interest rate, I still live in the 90s, but anyway, let's say your interest rates were low and and you $500 a month is going to be drafted out of your bank account. And then one day, you realize the bank drafted $1,000 out instead of $500. And you call them up and you say, why did you take $1,000 out when I signed paperwork that said $500? And they go, well, that's not how I interpret it. Huh. You would go crazy, wouldn't you? Because we understand the perspicuity of, of reading, perspicuity of, of, of the way we read things, the perspicuity, the clarity of what we read. We understand it. 500 means 500. But all of a sudden, when people read the Bible, they throw out perspicuity, right? They go, well, we don't really know what it says. Oh, really? But you can read everything else and understand what that says. But when it comes to the Bible, we have this esoteric, Gnostic thinking that it must mean something that it doesn't. Now, there's some things in Scripture I don't completely understand, but I can tell you a lot of the fights we're having now, you don't have to read very much. A third grader can understand what our Scripture teaches clearly in Scripture. This is what was happening in the days of Judah. There's nothing new under the sun. So There's nothing new with the prophets and the false prophets, right? They're, they're constantly... Doing the same thing that the false prophets do now and people do now with their opinions. All types of opinions. Opinions, opinions. Verse 37. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? Or what has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord. When I sent you saying, you shouldn't say the burden of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence, you and the city that I gave you into your fathers, and I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. God says, I'm going to cast you off because you've been walking around and instead of giving them my word, you've been giving opinions. Opinions. They're a little bit lighter, weren't they? It was a little bit easier to give their own opinions. Maybe they were going to offend somebody. Maybe someone didn't want to hear that. And my question is, is the truth of God's word, is it a burden to you? Or is it a delight? Is it like eating those vegetables you don't like? There's a list of them, I'm sure. Or is it like a list of good things you like to eat? But is it a burden or is it a delight? As we close, you know the playbook of the false prophets. Vain hopes, soft on sin, trust in experiences, and their truth, the real truth is burdensome. See, when Christ comes, he gives you true hope. The true hope is the judgment has been poured out upon Christ. Not only does he give you true hope, he, you know he's, he's, know he's serious about sin because he sent Christ, but you're also, you also know that 
the Spirit now enables you to live differently. You also don't have to trust in your experiences because the only experience you really need to understand is, is the experience Christ had. That, that, that is the experience you trust in through the revelatory gifts that we have in Scripture. The Scripture is what we trust in. And it's not burdensome to talk about God's truth. Isn't it a light load? Isn't it, isn't it great to know the truth and it be light? This is what Christ does for us. And I pray and hope we will trust in him more as we come to the supper. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of the word of God.